Perik Beis, Mishnah Gimel, second chapter, third Mishnah. Imagine the following scenario. A non-Jew lends a Jew money just prior to Pesach, and the Jew says to the non-Jew, look, here, take this chametz, take this bread or whatever it happens to be, which is chametz, keep it in your house, and if I don't pay you in time, that food, that chametz, will be like it's yours, but not only like it's yours when I don't pay up, it's as, like, as though it was always yours from the moment um, when you lent me money. And then he doesn't pay up. He, he can't get the money in time. So then retroactively, all that chametz was all the non-Jews throughout that whole period of time. And if that happened just prior to Pesach, it means that that chametz was always the non-Jews throughout Pesach. And that's the first case over here. Nochri shehilvo es Yisrael al chametzo. A non-Jew who lends money to a Jew, but with, a, with chametz, with leavened products as the deposit. And it's sitting in the non-Jew's house throughout Pesach. Achah Pesach, once Pesach is over, it's permissible to have benefit from that chametz, even for a Jew, because it's as if it was in the non-Jew's possession the whole time. Because since that was the stipulation, that if the Jew doesn't pay up in time, it's as if retroactively that chametz was always owned by the non-Jew, from since before Pesach, uh, therefore, um, it's, the matters revealed retroactively that from the point in time where he put it in the non-Jews' house, it was the non-Jews. And therefore that's allowed. What if it was the opposite? The Yisrael, Shehilvo Esanochri, if a Jew lent money to a non-Jew, al so on the chametz of a non-Jew, and the non-Jew put it, the chametz in the Jews' house, and said, if I don't pay up retroactively, this chametz is going to be yours. So then, the flip side is true. Aha, Pesach once, Pesach is over. That chametz is prohibited to have any benefit from, because it was as if it was owned by the Jew throughout the whole of Pesach. That's the first section of this Mishnah. The second section of the Mishnah is a bit more simple. Chametz shenofla olov mapoles. What if you had chametz that a, uh, a ruin fell on top of it? So a wall or something like that fell on top of it. It's buried under the rubble. Hari hu We can treat this as if it is destroyed. It's inaccessible chametz. You don't have to worry about it on Pesach. You do still have to uh, annul it in your mind and, go th- and, and make the statement of nullification. But you don't have to worry about checking for it and trying to get rid of it. It's buried down under. Uh, but how, what's considered to be buried chametz? Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, ben Gamliel says, Kol ha-kelev Anything that's so deeply buried that a dog would not be able to go searching afterwards and might, by mistake, dig it up on Pesach, that's considered to be dis- for all intents and purposes, destroyed chametz. Um, the commentaries and, and the Talmud explains how much, how deep does it have to be that, it, uh, that we don't have to worry that a, di- a dog might dig it up. Apparently that's three handbreadths. Shlush tefachim, three tefachim, three handbreadths. That's the, as deep as it's got to be. If it's deeper than that, a dog's not going to dig it up. You can assume that that chametz is buried for Pesach. It's considered to be as if it's destroyed.